Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, uh, once again, good evening, everybody. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm very excited uh, to be here as always, and I'm looking forward to, to really having a great show again. Uh, we're going to be starting off in just a moment with uh, the Coach's Corner panel. I'll introduce uh, uh, tonight's uh, guest panelists in here in just a moment. And then a little bit later on in the show, on the second half, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest once again, uh, Dave Schultz. He's the CEO of NextLinks. Uh, he's going to come and give us an update on what he's been doing uh, this last season, getting ready for uh, some really great stuff happening on his neck of the woods. So we're going to get caught up with him on the second half of the show. But let me remind everybody, of course, uh, that Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing top quality programming designed to attract a golfing enthusiast. And of course, Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top PGA and LPGA teacher professionals, all designed to help improve your game from tee to green. So subscribe today. Go to golftipsmag.com. And just a quick side note for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, uh, you can ha- really get an, a number of different options uh, once you visit the site, uh, golftipsmag.com. Uh, you can get uh, multiple years, of course, subscriptions, but you can get uh, a, uh, a uh, print subscription only. You can get a print and digital subscription, and now available is a digital-only subscription. So there's lots of different options, and you can get multiple years as well if you want to save a little bit of extra money so make sure you check it out golftipsmag.com all right i'm going to bring on the guys and gals uh, if you will uh, on the show uh, on the coach's corner panel let me introduce them first up is john hughes he's a pga master professional and honorary president of the north florida pga section and he's also a uh, award recipient of the 2013 pga of america's horton smith award uh, he's also a senior editor at uh, golf tips magazine as well as one of the top 25 instructors and he's also part of the Golf Tips advisory staff. Uh, also joining on the panel is Jamie Leno-Zimron. She's an instructor, body worker, and consultant. She's also an Aikido six-degree black belt. She's a Class A LPGA teach professional, a corporate and conference speaker, executive trainer and coach, and speaker for Vistage International and TEC Canada, which is the executive committee. Uh, rounding up the panel, of course, is Brian Dobby. He's a PGA teacher professional at the Trump National in Bedminster, New Jersey, uh, formerly at the Montclair Golf Club where he spent 18-plus years and won five New Jersey section awards. Uh, the latest was the 2020 Player Development Award, and he was the 2012 Teacher of the Year and has been ranked number seven in Golf uh, Digest Top Teachers in New Jersey. So, uh, guys and uh, Jamie, welcome to the Coach's Corner panel. Thank, Thank you. Very happy to be here. All right, appreciate it. All right, we're going to talk about a few different things. I'll just kind of give you a heads up. Um, normally, I don't do that, but I'm going to do it tonight because we're going to be covering a few different topics tonight. Um, first and foremost, we're going to talk about junior golfers, uh, and there's a few things we're going to talk about that. Uh, then we're going to talk to, uh, and funny enough, one of the panelists 
uh, on here tonight actually wrote uh, submitted a great article uh, on a site I came across, and it is on uh, some questions, nine recruiting questions uh, that uh, you might be asked uh, when applying for college golf scholarships. Uh, that, of course, was by John Hughes. Uh, and then also why you should golf for business. We're going to talk about business golf a little bit as well. So we're going to start off with the junior golfers, and that's sort of a, a general uh, uh, again, these are sort of questions uh, before uh, a junior might uh, pick their summer tournament. So uh, obviously I know we're coming out of summer right now, but we're thinking about in the future. And uh, I'm going to start off with the order that I introduced everybody. So, John, I'm going to start with you. Uh, and this is a question that might be asked, and, uh, you know, whether it be by coach, might be a parent, what have you, and that is really have they developed or have you developed uh, ball control because obviously if you're going to get into junior in the junior golf ranks uh, you've got to have some control because you're going to compete against some of the best of the best in, in those categories so talk about that that's a question that's going to be asked by uh, a multiple uh, multiple of different people and it's something that the junior has to keep in mind why is that important do you think first off ted thanks for uh, allowing me to be part of the broadcast tonight it's always a pleasure brian jamie looking forward to a great hour of discussion with you guys ball control um it's everything at the elite ranks and it's a growing process whether you're two years old or 20 years old um learning to control your ball flight control the curvature uh those kinds of different things is sort of the mark of maturation, I, I could say, for you as a junior golfer. And what it also shows a golf coach, a collegiate golf coach, is that not only are you well-educated with how to control your golf ball, you've actually practiced it. And the practicing of it just can't happen overnight. Here's, you may have a natural ball flight and the tendency of your swing path and face and all the other parameters that we measure with flight scope, but for you to play the opposite, you got to go out and practice it. And for you to pull it up on command is even better. And that takes even mm -hmm. more practice. So being able to control your ball flight is actually telling a college coach, it's telling any coach that not only you committed to your game, but you're spending the right amount of hours. You're, you're balancing yourself out to be able to be a, a well-rounded golfer and not just a one-dimensional golfer. It's a, it's a, it sounds like a really simple answer, and the simple answer a lot of people are going to tell you is more about how, how to hit certain shots, but when it comes to being recruited and uh, finding the right coach, it's telling a much deeper story than you realize. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and I, I think it's important – you know, again, obviously, you know, for junior golfers, there's going to be like anything, there's going to be some limitations. Uh, but I think if you want to be competitive in the junior ranks, especially if you want to get into some of the, the summer tournaments and so forth, you've got to have uh, a certain level of control. Otherwise, you're just, you're not going to perform very well. And, and there's a difference. I mean, obviously, we want juniors to go out and have fun in that. But if you want to be more competitive, and, and if golf is something, especially if you're you know, have uh, initial aspirations of, of maybe getting into, um, uh, you know, a collegiate program or whatnot, you, you've got to be, you know, you, you've got to be able to test your mettle against some of the best, uh, you know, in the country. And, and especially now with so many overseas golfers coming in uh, and applying for scholarships and things like that, you're, you're now 
you know, you're not just limiting to, to the kids that are, that are here in the U.S., but you're now competing against international talent as well, which elevates uh, the stakes a little bit higher. Um, Jamie, another question that, you know, one might ask uh, of a junior golfer and, and might even ask themselves this if they really uh, are, are serious about getting into, you know, some sort of a, uh, a summer program or junior program of, of tournaments, and that is can, you know, can you consistently break 75 uh, you know, on your home course, uh, you know, if you're playing at a, a, a golf course that you regularly uh, practice on, um, you know, is score something that really matters at this point? Uh, and if so, why? And if not, why not? Score obviously matters in order to be competitive. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got to do some research, what are, you know, other kids in your age brackets and historically in this tournament or that course, you know, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But, um, you know, you, right. you want to have some level of, of uh, knowing that you're competitive. But I also think that for junior golfers, uh, competing is not always only about winning, right? I mean, the right. experience, mm-hmm. the experience is so tremendous, and there's so much to learn. And to have experience in competition, under pressure, different golf courses, you know, meeting other, uh, you know, other kids, other cohorts. I mean, these are all elements of the experience, so... Um, you know, I don't think that score is the only factor that uh, the junior player or their parents, honestly, should be looking at um, in terms of um, deciding whether they can compete or not or ought to go to a tournament. Um, so that's kind of what I would say there. Um, and, you know, it just it, it depends on, on the kids' goals. And, you know, have they competed before? Are they moving up along the way, right? So that's when, you know, score – a score has a different weight depending, I would say, on the situation. Um, and I, I just want to say a little bit, if I could add a little bit more about the, the ball control. Um, sure. And, you know, and, and the experience of being out on the golf course uh, in competition. So um, I think what's so important for junior players is that they're learning. There is so much to learn. And when you learn young, you learn early on, how do you control ball flight? You know, what kinds of adjustments do you make in your stance or your grip or your swing path, you know, understanding face and impact, how that relates to your grip or your stance, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, the basics of how far do your clubs go, you know, what, what are your distances? And those are changing because junior players are growing, right? They're, they're, that's going to change um, from, from year to year or, uh, you know, period of month, half year to half year, whatever. So um, understanding how you control your ball flight Understanding your ball control on the green, your ability to read the greens, um, uh, how do you control your distance, what's the size of your stroke, and relative to the speeds of the green. All of these factors that go into controlling ball flight, which then go into uh, being able to feel confident as you're playing and ultimately to, you know, make scores. Uh, Those things are important. And, you know, I think back on this a lot. I kind of learned those things more by osmosis. I guess I was taught them a little bit as a young player. I mean, when I was growing up, we didn't really have junior programs so much, but I certainly learned those things young, and they never, ever, ever left me, and I didn't really have to learn them so much later on. So I think that all of those things are absolutely invaluable to learn as a young player that stay with you for life, and that when those things are in there in kind of an automatic way, you're just so used to them, um, you can be concentrating on a lot of other things, and you can actually get good at controlling your ball flight or fading it or drawing it around or whatever you need to do. Um, because you know the elements that go into that kind of control. So I think those things are really important um, for junior players, and that that's the kind of experience that they're getting 
playing tournaments uh, besides just what their score may be. Yeah, and those are some great points as well, Jamie. Thank you for that because, you know, I think juniors certainly, again, first and foremost, they have to ask themselves the question, you know, why? Why am I here? Do You know, is it is it for fun? I mean, obviously we all want to have fun, but is it for, you know, do I have aspirations of becoming a better player and, you know, advancing the ball, so to speak, no pun intended, um, but, you know, we want to decide first and foremost why we're here and, uh, you know, and why we want to play this game. And then I think also we have to be careful both for those that are parents and also as the child that there's not undue pressure put on. I mean, yes, it can be very competitive in the junior ranks, uh, especially at some of the younger ages and that, um, because they're all, you know, gearing up and, and wanting to compete. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to get so much pressure that suddenly the fun has taken out of it as well. So, you know, these two factors, ball control certainly is important, and a score does matter to a point. But again, you have to let the child develop naturally, I think, as they go along and, and sort of, um, you know, not succumb to some of the natural, uh, you know, pressure tendencies that we quite often see. Um, Brian, I want to kind of wrap up the, the junior golf here. And, and as I mentioned, you know, these are sort of questions before we would get into a summer program. Of course, we're in fall and, and going to be heading into winter before too long. But um, putting the things in perspective, for a summer uh, tournament schedule, um, as a junior, how do I make the most out of my summer? What do I need? What sort of a game plan do I need to put together that I get an, a good, solid balance of tournament play that's going to help, you know, again, move that ball forward uh, and also balance some of the other things, the practice time and so on, in order to be a well-rounded junior player? What, are, what do I need to do to make the most out of my summer? Well, Ted, first off, thanks for having me on the show again. Uh, it's great to hear John and Jamie. They, they covered so many great points. You know, I learned, I learned just by listening to your, your guests myself. But um, I think when it comes to juniors and how they balance out their tournament schedule, I try to make sure my juniors have a balance of other things in their life too because I don't want my juniors burning out. You know, there's so many tournaments now, especially here in the New Jersey section to, to play in. It can get overwhelming where these kids are playing four or five days a week all through the summer. And I see a lot of them burning out. And, and I try to remind them, you know, what else do you like to do? And I think that's part of the equation here, developing our junior players, especially um, uh Doing other things, especially playing other sports if they have to, and I and I have I have a lot of players up here that do multiple sports, but they're still competitive when they play in their golf tournaments. So I I look for the burnout factor um, before we get into playing so many so many events that it's 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 just counterproductive sometimes for juniors. Um, and then the other thing, just to go back what John and Jamie were talking about, I think junior players and parents need to understand the patience of this game and how long it takes to get good at it. And I think a lot of kids tend to get down on themselves when they, when they don't play well in a tournament and you have to be, you have to remind them that, okay, you had a bad day, you know, play in another event and, and work on, you know, what went wrong and learn from it. Um, but there's no, there's no timeline here. And I, and I think because kids are trying to get into college or play college golf or whatever, they put this timeline on it and that puts too much pressure on them instead of just enjoying the, the path they're on of learning. Um, so I kind of stress those points, Ted, 
um, just so kids have a more balanced um, life and not overly competitive in these golf tournaments, if that makes sense. No, that that makes perfect sense. And again, um, thank you, uh, Brian, for that. You know, I think it's critical for parents to understand that it really you have to, and, and you know, some might say, well, I, I don't want to leave it up to the child because they're kind of flighty and they're all over the place. And if I don't keep them, you know, in a, in a, a stricter schedule, then things are not going to get done. And, and there is a certain element of truth to that. We have to guide them. But the, the cold hard fact is it's, it's always going to be up to the child if they choose to play or not. And if you, if you get them into too regimented of a schedule or a practice session or both, then ultimately what ends up happening, Brian, as you touched on, is they get burnt out, then they become frustrated because they're just not, things aren't happening, and suddenly the next thing you know, the golf clubs are collecting dust, and the last thing they want to do is go anywhere near a golf course. So I think you have to find a happy balance. If the, if the child shows the initiative that they want to get out there and, and, and really give it a good go, then um, you know that's one thing. But again, don't be afraid to say, hey, let's, let's not be too aggressive with the schedule Let's you know move forward uh, and and see what what is going to work best for you. And if you find it's not enough, then we can you know ramp it up a little bit. If you need to back off, we need to do that too. But ultimately, the parents need to be supportive um, to whatever the child feels is going to work best for them, because ultimately it's their junior program that they're getting into. So some great answers, guys, in all areas. I appreciate it. Um, we're going to move on to uh, a little further down the line, if you will, to college golf and particularly scholarships and. John, these were some questions that were put back, um, as I mentioned to you, uh, or mentioned uh, at the opening. Uh, these were nine recruiting questions, and these are questions that um, you know golf coaches are going to be asking. And I just want to—we're uh, not going to get to through. There's nine of them. We're not going to get to all of them because of, of timing, but we'll get to a few of them. And the first one is: is who's helping you, uh, John, make your college decision? This is a question that I think, as a young person, and again, we're going to involve the parents. Um, you know, one of the first questions the coach will ask is about who is going to help you make your college selection decision. Um, you know, a lot of times coaches do this because they want to, uh, you know, it's partly strategy and, and also determining how they're going to recruit uh, a potential student or athlete. So touch on that. Why is that important? Um, who's necessarily going to make or help and assist in the, in the decision-making process? Well, you hit on a lot of the factors, why it's important, but ultimately it tells the coach how you're going about your thinking prior to being on your own and who your mentors are, who you're going to for advice if things aren't going so well. And the coach is then able to reach out to your junior golf team, whether it's just your parents it's a coach, it's a nutritionist, it's a physical fitness person, it's a teacher at school, it's the people you hang out with. I mean, there, there's tons of different people that influence a high school sophomore, junior, or senior to get to the point where they make a decision as to where they go to college and where they're going to play. And that coach is, is wanting to understand what that system and process is, who's involved, and who the key key players are. Because those key players are most likely going to be with you at least through your freshman year, if not more. And the coach can then understand if this person is going to be a distraction or if this particular, particular process 
could be a distraction or can it be a big bonus? And you sort of hit on it. How does your culture fit into the rest of the culture of the team? And how are these Mm -hmm. people on the team going about making other decisions? But I think the ultimate answer to that, that a junior golfer can provide a coach, which really says a lot of things when genuinely delivered, is ultimately, coach, it's my decision based on what I want to study and what I want to be at the end of four years. And I'm hoping that you, if I make the choice to go with you, that you're going to provide me that avenue. That's a really, really strong answer to a very open-ended, and sometimes people would look at that question as going, why do you want to know? It's an important question. The stronger you can answer it at the end after giving the different parts of the chessboard of yours to the coach, the better. Yeah, and I think also just going back to what we were just talking about a second ago is, you know, obviously parents are going to be involved uh, in that process. But, you know, I think if, you know, and I know many coaches can, can attest to this, you know, sometimes if you've got overly aggressive parents and, and pushy parents and, and sort of dominating, uh, dominant parents in the process, that's a signal too, I think, for a lot of coaches to say, well, wait a minute, you know, let's, let's make sure that this is really what the child wants. <clears throat> excuse me, and that they're not being, uh, you know, unduly influenced, uh, you know, uh, you know, too much here. Let's let's find out. So uh, it's it's good to know who that child is being surrounded by and and what the process has been thus far, because that's going to tell a lot about the type of student athlete that they're going to be dealing with. Uh, you know, should they be successful? Um, Jamie, I'm going to wrap two questions into one for this again, just for uh, ease of time. And that uh, the second question on here was. How are your grades and SAT scores? And then the second, uh, third question was, what is the most important to you in terms of both academics and your golf game? And, of course, these are, are questions, again, that you know, a, a, a college golf coach might ask uh, a potential uh, student applying for a scholarship. So touch about you know, why would they want to know, you know, who cares? They're coming out to play in the golf team, you know, does scores and grades, uh, you know, whether it be SATs or otherwise, why would that be important? Uh, you know, what is the coach trying to find out there? And then also they're asking from a student's perspective, really which of the two is most important? Is that academics uh, and or your golf game? Which, which is where are their priorities? Um, you want to touch on both of those? It's an interesting question because, you know, in a sense, you know, you can kind of worry is that sort of a trick question from your coach, right? Um, you may assume that the coach wants to know that you're just going to be gung-ho for your golf, right? And uh, that's going to be uh, kind of, you know, maybe the top priority um, because you're talking to the golf coach, right? (laughs) And they're worried about their their golf Mm -hmm. team and they want to know your commitment. Um, And, of course, they want to know your commitment. But um, I think that it's really important to be honest. You know, first of all, you have to be honest with yourself. Uh, And, Ideally, I think uh, college experience of a student athlete is both of those things where you can focus on your academics, uh, what are your, your interests, your, your um, academic interests, potentially your career interests. Some, some young people really know, you know they're on a track. They want to become a, a doctor, an engineer, whatever it is they want to become, uh, whatever they're studying, um, and, uh, you know, really want to be be committed to that. There are a few players who may be thinking uh, very seriously about uh, going on to the tour. That's a different situation um, when you have players mm-hmm. who really uh, feel that that's their goal, that's their interest. 
some just are really wanting to have a, a great experience. They're good players. They may uh, be much more interested in their their career path than um, than playing professional golf. So I think that that those kinds of things need to be talked about uh, between the mm-hmm. coach or you know in, in the recruitment process. I think that it's important for the uh, you know for the young person, the student themselves, to be really clear and uh, to try to figure out what's the schedule going to be that's going to allow me to uh, really devote to, to my studies and succeed there as well as devote to my golf and succeed there. Uh, and to know that, you know, as a student athlete, you're signing up for um, a very busy <laughs> time and a committed time. Uh, you know, and there may not be so much time for partying because, you know, to accomplish both the academics and the golf um, or whatever the sport is really takes a ton of focus and a ton of time to be able to practice and to study. So um, I think the main thing is to be honest with yourself and to have honest conversations with the coach and the recruiters. Um, and clearly it's important, though, that you're going to be committed to to your golf and to the team and to the school. Um, as, but I think that uh, I actually think that most coaches want to know that you're there for your studies as well. Yeah. And I think just to add real quick on that, and, uh, again, you, you covered all the bases uh, perfectly there, Jamie. And, and really, you know, a lot of, uh, you, you know, uh, kids and particularly parents might, uh, you know, that might be tuning in tonight. The, the, the real key reason why they want to, you know, understand or a couple of the reasons they want to understand about your scores and your grades is, is really sort of twofold. Uh, first and foremost, it gives them an idea of how you perform in the classroom, gives them an idea if you're dedicated. If you're dedicated to your studies and those are important to you, then you're more than likely going to be dedicated and, and wanting to get out there and give your best, um, you know, out in the golf exactly. course. If you're yep. just sort of, yep. yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're just sort of, yeah, willy-nilly, you know, in your classroom, don't really care and you're all there about the golf, which, yeah, they love, they want you to be there about the golf, but it also gives them an indication of how, um, you know, you work through the process. And then the other thing as well is eligibility issues. I mean, you know, if you're, yeah, most yeah great, have, you've made yeah. the golf. You've got to keep up. Right, you've made the golf team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly, in order to uh, meet eligibility standards. So that's uh, one of the other reasons. Um, but, but great answers, Jamie. Thank you. Um, Brian, I'm going to come to you again and sort of double up the questions here um, as far as, uh, you know, getting through this process. So question four is how many tournaments have you played in and how do you score? So obviously they want to get an idea of what you've played in and, and how you've done. And then number five would be, uh, would you be willing to walk on for a year and compete for a scholarship? So that might be a question you might be faced with as well. What are your thoughts here on, on both of those? And you could do them in, in whichever order you want. So when it comes to recruiting with the tournaments, I'm sure, you know, college uh, coaches want, experience you know for players coming onto their team so i'm sure that's why they ask that question it kind of gives you a background of you know the the experience a player has right there you know because if a player does particularly well in tournaments they're going to tell you about it or have some kind of resume so uh, i'm sure they sure they look at at that and um ted the other question i'm sorry the second one was Oh, the second one, uh, would Which, you be willing to be a walk-on for a year oh, walk and on. compete for a scholarship? Yeah. You know what? You know what? That, that'd be a great question to ask a student coming on board that, you know, the coach probably thinks they have a chance to play, but it, it, might, it might challenge that player to, um, 
you know, maybe step it up a little bit, or maybe the coach sees some, some hidden potential in a player that maybe didn't have a, a, a good tournament resume or whatever. I, I look at that as a motivating question. And, um, you know, if a kid has some fire um, to play, a question like that's not going to turn somebody that's competitive away. They're, they're going to say, you know what, coach, uh, I want to get on this team. I'll do whatever it takes. And if, if that's what it takes for me to, to get on the team, you know, you might, you might find a diamond in the rough that way as a coach, um, that mm-hmm. motivated player. You know, there's, you know we, we have a resume of tournaments and what we've done, but can we really measure the enthusiasm and the fire in players? And, and, and a good coach needs to bring that out or sees that in players and, and probably wants players on, on their team that have that fire to, um, you know, be competitive and improve themselves. So I, I wouldn't mind that question at all if, if, if somebody said it, said it to me, to tell you the truth. Yeah, Good no, I, I think that's a great point. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point because, you know, quite often we, you know, we look at the, you know, sort of the stars of the team as, you know, as a college coach, they might look at, you know, what they would consider to be the number one seed on the team. And sometimes those don't always turn out to be the best, uh, you know, in, in the team format. Sometimes, you know, you look at somebody like a Tiger Woods and, and some of the others as an example, uh, you know, you look at them in, in a team format, whether it be in a Ryder Cup and so forth. And, and typically on an individual basis, they, they do very well. But, you know, in matches and, and you know, being part of a, a team, their record, you know, is, is much different than what it is when they're competing, uh, you know, individually elsewhere. So, um, there's a lot of factors, and yeah, sometimes, as you said, you can find a diamond in the rough. Um, one more uh, question before we move on to uh, business golf, and John, this is going to come back to you. I'll let you finish up here, and and that is, uh, which is the ninth question, is um, what are your practice habits? Obviously, a coach wants to know how often you're practicing and what you work on in order to improve your game. Those are some key things. Touch about uh, you know about that is what what are what are, why do they want to know what they're practicing on? Well, we want to know how your time management is. There's a lot of things un-golf-related, not golf-related, that this question pertains to. And I know Jamie and, and Brian have done a really good job talking about the golf-related <laughs> things. I've been trying to take more of the coaches in. Um, your practice habits are telling the coach how you balance your time. What you believe to be your strengths and weaknesses and how you go about your decision-making, but more importantly, your problem-solving processes to make you a better player. Uh, The amount of time you practice, how you practice, how formatted uh, creatively your practice is, tells the coach how willing you are to go above and beyond where you are right now. But it's also the question, if answered erroneously, that could be the biggest thorn in your back the first day you're there. Because if you're not practicing to the answer you provided that coach, it will become readily apparent within five minutes of being on the team. So it's a question I think that's really got to be answered truthfully and not embarrassingly, meaning don't be embarrassed if you don't put a lot of practice to it. You're not showing off. You're not showing ego if you're doing a minimal amount of practice and getting where you're going. But if you answer the question that way, 
Don't be surprised if that coach is going to try to inspire you and in some cases mandate you to bring your level of practice to another level. Because if you're just sort of guiding, coasting around, then it's time to tear, it's time to pick it up. You've got you've made a decision to go on to the next level. It's time to pick up your practice habits. For those people who are telling the coach what they're doing to practice, and maybe your skills are borderline, or your your scores are borderline, or your grades are borderline, the coach says, "Come on, come on with me." What they're basically saying is, "I accept what you're doing." and I'm going to help you make it that much better. You've got to be open-minded to that because if you come in closed-minded, then it's going to be a very short-lived relationship being on that team. The coach is there to help you, and and basically the relationship, the handshake you've made is to have that coach help you, and you've got to be willing to let that happen. Yeah, it's important, I think, for for any, you know – youngster whether male or female that wants to um you know go for a, a golf scholarship uh, there's obviously uh you know uh, scholarships out there to be had and i think this is something that you have to really factor in so having these questions and, and john did a good uh, job in for those of you tuning into the show um that maybe are just coming on the back end i'll uh, i'll give you very quickly where you can find them uh it's at the uh, hacienda uh, golfclub.com website under the uh, golf blog and uh, the head of the, the uh, post is College Golf Scholarships, Nine Recruiting Questions. Uh, it was posted actually back in 2016, but they're still re- relevant today. Uh, we didn't get to them all, of course, but uh, go and check it out after the show. If uh, you're a parent or even if you're a student that's wanting, those are some of the questions that you might be faced with um, by your college recruiter. So uh, check them out. I think it's worthwhile. And that's at haciendagolfclub.com. Uh, uh, golf um, all right, we're going to move on, and uh, Jamie, I'm going to come to you to start things off, uh, one of our experts on, on golf business. And uh, let's talk about, uh, and, and no particular order, but these are some of the things. Talk about why mixing golf and business creates such, number one, a huge potential um, for business in general, and how it helps uh, with your networking. That was for Jamie, sorry. Jamie, I think you oh, might be oh, I'm muted. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was on mute. No, that's okay. Yeah, I was just laughing and saying there's, <laughs> there's so many things to say in response to this question. Um, I could talk endlessly about uh, business golf. Um, I think, you know, my one of my uh, signature programs is where business meets the green. Um, so, uh, anyways, you know, there's so many opportunities that golf presents. Um, in the first place, golf has kind of been known as the business sport. And because you are spending – a really significant period of time, four or five, six hours on the golf course, maybe the 19th hole with uh, people you work with, want to work with, could be around a hiring issue, um, a deal issue. You are really spending time, quality time, a substantial length of time and, you know, playing a game, but a game that's so revealing about your, your personality, how you are getting along, what's the chemistry, um, you know, I, I always call it the litmus test of golf. We learn so much about people, our, our potential working partners or working partners, by playing with them. Um, so, you know, th- there's a lot there. In terms of networking, golf tournaments and charity tournaments have just, you know, exploded in probably the last decade or two. There are just so many events. And you don't even have to be a good golfer because they're, generally speaking, 
uh, scramble tournaments. But, you know, you have to be good enough to play and hold your own and contribute to the team. Um, but, uh, again, you know, the teamwork involved, the meeting people, of course, there's the, um, you know, afterwards, the banquets and all this sort of thing. So, um, and, you know, it tends to draw people who will have some, have common interests around that charity or that, you know, whatever that, um, you know, fundraiser is for. So you're going to meet some like-minded people. You're going to meet business people. And again, uh, you know, I think anytime we get to meet people and have some meaningful interaction, that's also fun besides just kind of standing around at a mixer or a breakfast. Um, it, mm. it just takes that connection and that potential friendship or colleagueship to a new level. And golf affords that in so many, many ways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could go on, but I just think that the opportunities mm. are, uh, you know, they're not only are they plentiful, but they really have some special characteristics that make them especially valuable because of golf being the medium that is, is how we're getting together, um, and, you know, in a business setting. Yeah. And, and well said, and I know you touched on quite a few different things and we're, we're going to expand on a couple of them here. Um, but, um, but you're exactly right. You, you sort of help set the table if you will. Um, so Brian, you know, one of the things in, in addition to obviously, uh, you know, developing a, a good potential network, of not only friends, but uh, potential business associates um, and, and being able to spend some quality time out there away from, you know, the typical office environment. One of the things, too, is, as Jamie sort of alluded to, and that is really it's sort of a character preview for golf for business. Um, you know, this gives us an opportunity to kind of, you know, whether it be four or five hours, depending on the circumstances, um, gives you an idea of who you're who you're golfing with. And is this somebody necessarily I want to do business with. Um, maybe touch on that a little bit. Uh, you know, some of the, the opportunities uh, that we can learn and gather as a business person um, that we could learn from playing with, uh, with some of our clients or potential, potential uh, you know, prospects. You know, Ted, a great question. It just reminded me of a story. One of the members at one of my, uh, my last club I worked at told me that he he's a big golfer that, his interview process, he would always ask the interview, the new people, if they played golf, if they said yes, he would take them to play golf. And that was the interview. And um, Mm -hmm. like Jamie was saying, so many things are revealed on a golf course during a round of golf, but that was his litmus test for, are we going to bring this person in? And, And Jamie mentioned the chemistry and stuff to the company. And I thought it was the greatest idea in the world. So, um, you know, I think it goes hand in hand with finding out what type of person you're dealing with, what their personality is, how they handle the ups and downs in a round. And as we all know, you know, a golf round gives us all these different emotions. And, you know, in that four or five hours of playing, you're, you're going to find a lot about that person's personality. Um, the other mm-hmm. thing after listening to John and Jamie that I want to bring up since we were talking about junior golfers before I tend to stress the importance to my juniors, how golf beyond their competitive days will help them in the business world, especially the female players Mm -hmm. um, that I teach. I've got two daughters myself, and and I'm always stressing to the female juniors that, you know, golf can open up so many doors for you in the business world when you complete college or whatever your path may be. And, 
um, I think that's another selling point for golf when we're trying to grow this game. It's not just the competitive side for for juniors, but also the business world. It's it's a great way mm. to form relationships, and as we know, we need that um, in the business world and beyond. So I, I think it's just great. I, I, I agree. I agree with all the things everybody said. Oh, yeah, and I, and, I really want to. Uh, yeah. I would just so emphasize what you're saying. That is so true. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, you're just at such an advantage. If you've got, uh, in fact, we had a Stanford golf reunion. Um, you know, we've been having them recently in the last few years. And I was on the range with several women, uh, business women. And, you know, they they played college golf. They did not go on to play uh, tour golf. That wasn't their interest. And they didn't necessarily feel they were that good. But, boy, they had some great golf swings and a great golf game on them, right? And uh, I interviewed them, really, because I was so curious from the business golf point of view how their golf proficiency had uh, helped them in the business world. And, I mean, they just went on. It was just uh, they were at such an advantage because they have a a great golf swing and a great golf game um, in the business world. So what you said is so true there, Um, and it's really good to let our, our junior players know that. You know, it's not only about going on to play, play the tour, the, the advantage that you're at in the business world is huge if you've got a nice golf game. No, no doubt. It's, yeah, it's and no that... value added. Uh, Ted, one more thing. You know, being up here in, in so close to New York City and all these companies and Wall Street and stuff, I see how the, you know, the outings and stuff around here. If, if, if you're a good player and you work for one of these companies, you're, you're like almost a god when it comes to these tournaments and stuff. And, and for for women out there that that play a really good game, the doors just open up for you in the business world. It's 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 seen everywhere. So, you know, kudos yeah. to anybody that's playing. Yeah, and and you know, let me just add to that because that was a point I was going to make. Um, and then John, I'll move on to uh, to the question I have for you as far as business golf. Um, I've actually had a couple of uh, young ladies as guests on the show that we touched on this very same thing. They had never played golf and they were introduced to golf. And one of the reasons was, um, you know, I I say this jokingly, but you know, the the typical Monday around the water cooler or the coffee machine or what have you, uh, or copier machine, even, uh, you know, discussion, the the guys would come in and, and they'd be talking about the golf game that they played on the weekend with their buddies or a friend or a business client and many, you know, in this particular case, both of these young ladies, um, you know, kind of wondered, scratched their head and said, well, wait a minute, you know, I, they kind of felt left out. And they got introduced to the game and they went out there and they, just to the points that both, you know, Jamie and Brian, you've mentioned, is they've now been able to realize, you know, it's not just going out there and playing golf. There's a lot of great benefits. It's fun and, and it can, you know, be a, a great way to, to get out there and have a, a you know, a walk or what have you. Um, but it's opened so many doors business-wise for both of these young ladies now. So you're exactly right. I think for, for many women, uh, it is a great, great opportunity, not just to go out and socialize and have fun, uh, but if you're, you're still involved in business, whether your own business or you're working for a company, um, you don't have to be a great golfer. You can go out there and certainly take some lessons to help improve, um, but you can be a part of it. And, John, that brings me to the final question, and that is, you know, really character building, uh, you know, golf for business. Um, you know, so many people um, that are not involved in it, there are so many benefits, and I know we've touched on a few of them, um, but, 
this is one here that really has so many possibilities. Maybe you can touch on a few more and maybe even expand a little bit on, on what I was just talking about. Um, but really um, developing, uh, you know, sort of a, a better uh, approach. And also I want you to maybe add in there, uh, for those that maybe don't necessarily want to play, one of the great things about um, golf tournaments that are put on by companies, um, a lot of employees feel left out because they don't play golf. There's opportunities for them there as well. Maybe you can touch on a few of those that they can be involved. Sure. Let me let me touch on that first, and I'll, I'll provide a story as far as building character and doing things differently that golf allowed someone to do. Um, from a the typical format, the typical thing that a business golf outing plays is a scramble. It's four people. You're hitting a ball from one place. Everybody from the same place picking the best one, picking all the others up hitting another one from there until you hold a shot. And when I've played in business and corporate scrambles, there's always a need for a great putter. And a very basic beginner, when I've done beginner clinics, I've emphasized this, especially on the business end, that, hey, if you can be a great putter, no one on the team really cares what you do the rest of the time because you're contributing. You're contributing to maybe a weakness everybody else has. But the way you handle your role is going to determine how people think of you. So if you're an absolute beginner, you've never played before, but you've taken some putting and chipping lessons, and you're just the happy-go-lucky person who's sort of looking like they're tossing a few back, but not because you're scared to death or nervous, but then you get on the green and you're able to contribute. And that's really the key is to contribute in some way, and you're just delighted that you have. Male, female, old, young, doesn't matter. You're going to have a blast playing corporate business golf, and that's what it's about. Um, It's going to pull out the shyness of you and make you a more personable Mm -hmm. individual. It's going to do all those things for you, but from a sales end, from a client relations standpoint of view, I want to tell a story about a young man who a few years ago said, John, I really need help closing business. Um, I I know you just wrote a book about this for Golf Digest Schools. I know you you teach business golf 101 for Golf Digest Schools. I need some help. I can't close deals. I'm like, okay, no problem. Let's go out and play. I'll take some notes and see what I can help you with. So we play nine holes, and the person's constantly asking me, what, what's going on? You know, why aren't you helping me? I'm like, well, I'm taking notes, so I need to see the notes. No, you're not going to see the notes. At the end of the nine holes, you'll see the notes, and, and we'll work on these things. And along the way, this person's doing a lot of crazy things, gyrations, telling me about all the sales he's lost on the golf course versus all the sales he's closed and so forth. So we get to the 10th hole, and I looked at him and I said, are you ready to find out how to do better business golf? He says, yes. I said, okay, you need to do three things right now. Turn your hat around, tuck your shirt in, and tie your shoes. And he looked at me (laughs) like I was nuts. And I said, no, the, the way you present yourself, is how people look at you. Do you play business golf this way? Well, not all the time was his answer. Not all the time. 
I said, great, now it's time for me to tee off. Why don't you put yourself in this position on the tee box and keep your mouth shut? And he looked at yeah. me again and says, what do you mean? Well, the back nine, I gave him a lesson of how to handle yourself in a business situation, when to ask for the sale, when to close the sale, which is two different things. If it's a relationship building, just nurturing it and getting more out of it, how not to ask for the sale, but along the way, mm-hmm. don't step in the in the line of the putt. Don't do this. Don't do that. End of the set, moral to the story, my brother, who is a regional manager for 3M, extended his sales 10 times in one year on the golf course and to this day thanks me for it. Um, and it was my brother, yep. which is why I can tell this story and get away with some <laughs> of the things I got away with. But at uh, Golf Digest schools, I was just as blunt. So from a character standpoint of view, to look at yourself, examine yourself in the mirror, and carry that mirror with you while you play corporate golf. And imagine watching yourself, and what would you think of yourself as a business partner, as someone you want to hang around with? Because – Everybody on this panel and everybody I know that's entrepreneurial, who's a CEO, they don't want to do business with people they don't think they look like, think they act like, or have fun with. If you can't check those three boxes on the golf course, go find a new client. You know, you raise a really thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure your brother won't thank you, but um, but no, thank he, you for, he doesn't listen, for sharing. So I'm not worried. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going to save my coffee. Uh, but, you know, let me just add one thing. And, and you are exactly right. You know, what, what people are, that, that play golf, uh, you know, certainly not very well, let's say, and I'll use them as an example, but want to introduce it into their, their business life. The one thing that they first and foremost that they need to understand is that most people now I'm, I can't speak for everybody, but most people that you're going to play with really do not care how great of a golfer you are. If they're bringing, if they're meeting you in a sort of a, a, a casual business environment on the golf course, yes, it would be great if you're a great player, if you're you know, playing in some sort of a scramble, but truthfully, they're more interested in how you are as a person and how you conduct yourself far more, whether you can hit it 300 yards down the middle of the fairway uh, you know, those, that's icing on the cake, but you're right. How you present yourself on that golf course is from a, from a, 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 uh, seller's perspective. I want to know, uh, if I'm selling to somebody, how they conduct themselves, whether I want to do business with that individual or not, because I can tell you quite often, I've blown off a number of deals over the years on the golf course with, pers- uh, perspective, uh, uh, clients simply because how they conducted themselves, because I thought if you're cussing and cursing and doing all kinds of dancing on the thing over, you know, a missed putt, is that how you run your business? And do I want to be in business with you? So you're exactly right in your analogy and making some of those changes. Do you have to be perfect? No, but you have to have a certain amount of integrity uh, and, and a wherewithal about yourself because first impressions, unfortunately in this world, are, are very true and accurate. And if you present yourself as somebody who is overbearing and bullish and whatnot and, you know, fully yourself or what have you, um, that's going to be a turnoff. And, you know, whether you 
are a perfect putter or you can strike the ball 100%, most people that you're going to play with uh, from a business standpoint really don't care. Um, if you're a good golfer, that's a, a bonus. But they just want to know how you're going to conduct yourself on the golf course because it's going to tell them how you're going to conduct themselves in business. And I think that's really what it boils down to. And I think that the advice that you gave your brother obviously paid off and served him well. And uh, he certainly uh, was right into thanking you. Um, I think that uh, I think we've we've pretty much wrapped things up as far as uh, questions. Unless anybody else wants to uh, jump in and, and add any further thoughts on what we talked about tonight, uh, uh, Jamie or, or Brian, uh, anything further that uh, you want to add to tonight's discussion? I've got a question for Jamie, if I can ask one. Sure. Sure. Ja- Jamie, yep. Jamie um, when Ted introduced you, he said you were six-degree black belt in Aikido. That's, that's, that's awesome. I used to take Aikido myself. I loved it. And my question to you is, you know, how long did, you, uh, did it take you to get to that level? Well, honestly, I've been golfing since I was seven, and I've been training in Aikido since I was 21. So um, you can do my math on my age here. <laughs> I'm very young for my age, but uh, I've been training for 45 <laughs> years, I think, in Aikido. And, uh, yeah, I opened my own uh, Aikido school when I was 25 rather than go the uh, tour route. I was actually ranked in the top ten as a uh, national junior golfer, you know, back in the kind of uh, early 70s with uh, Amy Alcott, who's a good friend, and, uh, oh, gosh, Hollis uh, Stacy and, Muffin, Spencer, Devlin, all those folks. But I was accepted to school at Stanford, didn't have a golf scholarship, and that's when I started training in Aikido. Uh, and I've literally uh, taught and trained all around the world. We helped introduce Aikido to the Soviet Union back in the Gorbachev era and uh, in the Middle East. And I got back to golf when I was living in San Diego, and uh, gosh, about 20, 25 years ago, and uh, created Kiai Golf, which blends Aikido, uh, golf, you know, martial arts principles, centering, balance, a lot of different things. And uh, I'm also a psychologist. So uh, there's kind of a whole, it's a very holistic approach from a physical, mental, emotional, spiritual point of view to golf, to the game of golf. And uh, I joined the LPGA as a teaching professional around the year 2000. Um, So yeah, it's been a really interesting path and uh, blending, blending them has really been, been just wonderful, fascinating. I do a lot of golf mastery schools and you know, just all kinds of things, uh, blending That's great. Uh, martial arts, mastery principles mm-hmm. with golf. <laughs> That's all. So thanks for asking. That's yeah. going to be my second question. My second question was going to be, do you blend the two with golf? And, and you said you did. That's awesome. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It'd be fun to, maybe we can talk offline. It'd be fun to connect with you about that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's interesting, you know, thank you for, for asking that, um, Brian, because, you know, it, I think it's really good to, to, you know, I think most folks don't realize that golf can be utilized with so many different things and integrated with so many other things in our lives. And, I, you know, I know we like to talk golf up a lot, and that's what we do as, as instructors and, and fans of the game. But, uh, you know, for those, uh, especially, you know, during these difficult times with the pandemic, um, you know, as I said many times, golf has, has really gotten a booster shot of sorts uh, through this. And, you know, it's it's really been introduced to a lot of people that normally might not have gravitated to golf. And my hope is that the industry as a whole uh, takes advantage from the standpoint that says, okay, now that we've got these folks that are coming out to the golf course and coming for lessons that maybe have never had in the past an interest, what can we do to continue to keep them interest, 
you know, interested in game. And one of the things is integrating it, much like Jamie does with her Aikido and, and other uh, parts of, of the business world and so forth, um, that it can be a part of. It doesn't have to replace necessarily anything. It can actually be a greater part of, of, uh, of something else that you're already doing. So uh, that's one of the cool things about golf is it's very easily integrated with so many other factors. But, guys, I want to thank you very much. I'm, I'm out of time, and I want to give you just a quick moment. Um, if you want folks to uh, be able to reach out to you, the best way to do that, John, I'm going to let you go first, then Jamie, and then Brian. Sure. Brian, Jamie, always great to be on the program with you guys. A lot of interesting details and stories. And um, just like Brian said earlier, listening is really the real key to, to learning. And I learned a whole lot this evening. John Hughes Golf, that's as simple as it is. Put an ampersand, a hashtag, whatever it is in front of it or .com behind it. And that's the easiest way to find me. As I've been alluding to most of the fall, all I've got to say is come November 30th, I want you to think of these three letters, I-G-I, and pay attention to social media, pay attention to a lot of different things going on because I'm looking at creating a new platform that will deliver golf instruction in a whole new way, and I-G-I will do it and hope the listeners of Golf Talk Live come along with it. And I always said thank you for the opportunity to be part of the show. It's always a part of the month that I look forward to. Thanks. Perfect. Thank you, John, as always. Uh, Jamie, yourself, what's the best way that folks can reach out? Well, first, I just want to echo that. Thank you, Ted. Thanks to all of you guys. Um, it is really always just an honor and a lot of fun to uh, talk uh, talk together and with, with your audience. So, um, they can reach me. People can reach me at uh, my website, which is the t h e centered way dot com, center e d the centered way dot com, uh, or kiigolf dot com k i a i a blend of uh, aikido and golf k i a i golf dot com uh, takes you to the same website, uh, um, and uh, Facebook and LinkedIn are good places to find me. Jamie Leno Zimron, uh, and I always say I'm uh, I am very happy to talk. Uh, so we'll give a phone call, 760-492-GOLF, G-O-L-F, 4653. I do return calls, answer calls, and I uh, love to talk to folks. And, uh, you know, I, I offer uh, virtual lessons. I've been doing uh, you know, even virtually golf mastery schools and um, business golf seminars, so where business meets the green, a lot of peak performance stuff, uh, stress management, and uh, I'm just happy to uh, work with folks. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you, Jamie, as always, and uh, I can attest to the fact that she does take phone calls, so that's uh, that's a plus for sure. <laughs> Thank you, as always, Jamie. Uh, Brian, go ahead. Um, let the folks know the best way they can reach out for you. Uh, first off, Ted, thanks for having me on the show. John and uh, Jamie, it's always a pleasure. I learned so much. Um, I'm at Trump National in Bedminster, New Jersey. My uh, email is PGA at yahoo.com. Um, for anybody listening in the Northeast here, we've got a 24-7 year-round learning facility here at the golf course. It's beautiful. Um, the, uh, in two years, we're going to host the, the PGA Championship, so that's exciting uh, coming down the road. So um, if anybody's up this way and uh, want to work on their game this winter, uh, give me a shout. It's great to see everybody. Thanks, Perfect. Ted. All right, thanks. Again, thank you, John, Jamie, and Brian, as always, for bringing your best to the Coach's Corner panel, and I look forward to uh, seeing you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
All right, that was the panel. Uh, John Hughes, Brian Dobby, and Jamie Leno-Zimron on the Coach's Corner panel tonight. And uh, just a quick reminder for those of you just tuning into the broadcast, we are live uh, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. And if you're uh, not a subscriber to Golf Tips Magazine, you might want to consider doing it. Uh, uh, a few of the folks that come on the show are actually uh, part of the top 25, John Hughes being one of them. Uh, and some of the others that are on the uh, Golf Talk Live uh, are participants and uh, helping to contribute to Golf Tips Magazine. So go to golftipsmag.com, and you can subscribe uh, today. You can uh, get um, the six issues. The annual subscription is $14.97, uh, or you can get uh, multiple years, I believe, for $22 for a printed subscription. And you can also get a print and digital subscription for those of you who like both, and now available for uh, digital only. You can get that as well. Uh, just go under the subscribe button under the print section and just select digital uh, only option under there and you can get one or two year subscription. So make sure you do that. All right. Joining me this evening is uh, I'm glad to welcome him back. He's been on the show a few times over the years and was actually on earlier this year. Of course, I'm talking about Dave Schultz. He's the CEO of Nextlinks. And let me just tell you a little bit about him. Uh, back in the spring of 2015, uh, Dave, a veteran uh, technologist, uh, followed his passion for golf and began uh, working to realize his vision for Nextlinks, uh, immersive golf experiences uh, designed to make golf accessible to beginners as well as the seasoned golfers. Uh, a little bit more about uh, Dave is he spent more than two decades as an electrical engineer and operations executive at General Electric. Uh, he's an aviation electronics technician in the United States uh, Navy, uh, or was rather, uh, and he discovered a knack for problem-solving uh, on the avi avionics excuse me, systems of the A6 and F-A-18 aircrafts, and he sort of combined all of that, uh, and his latest project, of course, Next Links, we're going to get an update tonight from Dave, so please welcome my very special guest, Dave Schultz. Dave, Dave good evening you, and Dad. welcome. Great to be on. Super, yeah. All right, I appreciate it. <laughs> Well, we talked a little bit earlier in the season, uh, a few months actually. We, we actually met, and I just wanted to mention this very briefly, but um, you know, Dave was on my show a few years back, and uh, we had some great conversation then. And then uh, this past January, we met at sort of an after-show uh, party, if you will, uh, by some mutual uh, contacts. Uh, at the PGA Merchandising Show this past January. So we actually met face-to-face, -face, uh, coincidentally, uh, by happenstance, if you will, uh, at that event. And um, you came back on the show uh, a few months later and talked about uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, but fast-forwarding a little bit further, despite all that's gone on with, uh, with COVID and, and all of the other stuff that we've been dealing with, uh, you've got some pretty exciting news to, to share with us uh, on the show um, about some of the venues. So let, first off, let's back up a little bit. Let's tell what Nextlinks is uh, and really what your vision was, and then you can kind of share some of the news about what's taking place uh, this year. Yeah, I know. So, yeah, let's talk Nextlinks first. So I can now say it, dude, out loud. So Nextlinks is a sport um, that we've been inventing for six years, and it, it was designed, like I recognized Topgolf, you know, as a, culture change for the masses and it turns out now that we know that that's exactly what's happening because the ratio of people that go there are 50 percent golfers um and in real in real life there's only 10 percent golfers right so the 
you know, for years now, there's this new model that's been drawing in this half golf, half not golf audience into having fun. And, and when I saw that, you know, six years ago when I still had a real job, I just said, wow, that's going to trigger a lot of change, but there's not enough behind it, right? So I started thinking about how do you lead people forward, you know, really into the game of golf. And then, you know, started thinking about golf is a, you know, now I can say it in square feet, but golf, a golf course is more than 4 million square feet, right? So you wonder why golf right. is, a, is an exclusive sport. Well, our sport plays on a 72-foot-long by 16 foot wide playing field. Um, and, you know, we can do a lot more than that, but that's the, at the end of the day, we're create, we've created now. So it's in the market um, in a putting form, but the next form is going to be to add the golf simulator to the ends of the same exact footprint, right? So it's the same 72 mm-hmm. by 16, but now you have a simulator screen on each end. Um, and now we've got this new playing field that involves two simulators and about a 50-foot span of finely contoured putting between them. Um, and so what we've been doing for six years is writing software to, you know, activate that playing field in a number of different ways. Um, and, and now we have a sport, which is what, you know, so we've got a game called the Next Links Challenge. Um, so these are all putting games right now. But like I said, we're, we're ready to take orders on the next level too. We've already done all that development, so it's really fun. Um, but our, our core yeah. game for, for – go ahead. No, go ahead and please finish your thought. Yeah, go ahead and finish your thought, Dave, and then I'll I'll jump in. Yeah, so so, so basically we've got putting games that are activated by spotlights that come down from the sky, um, and one tells you where to put your ball, and the other shines a blob of light over an existing cup that's already there, a real one, and that becomes your tee box and your flag stick. And so you, you eliminate the need for flag numbers and flag sticks and... Um, you're using light to basically direct people around a putting green. And so the, the core game is the next links challenge. And that's like, you know, I tell people all the time, I said, that's our competitive nugget. So a match of next links, right? So when you talk about a sport, how do you compete? How do you win? So our putting game is an 18 par um, game. So there's nine putts. And right now on our small game, it's all two putts, but um, the small game plays on a 36 by 16 area. So the big game is going to play and it's going to have two three putts that are going to be like 60 foot long putts. And it's going to have two one putts that are like 10, 15 foot birdie putts, right? That you should make. And then it's going to have four two putts that are 15 to 35 foot putts. And, and, you know, because we've written all this software, we basically can embed that game into a putting green and it's there whenever you need it. And you just call it up with light beams, right? So that's, and then, so that becomes, that's like a 15 minute set, right? If you think of it, I always use tennis as the analogy because I like to compete at tennis. It takes an hour, hour and a half. You play two out of three, right? So our next link's challenge is, mm-hmm. is a, it's the equivalent of a set in tennis. Um, and so now you're going to come in with your buddy. You're going to play two out of three or three out of five. Um, and and the, the best player is going to always win. You can't beat this game. Um, the, the greens roll 11 and a half on the stem meter. They're, they're pure. They're true. They're soft. Um, so that, and, and then on the flip side, we've made all these little fun games, right? Dart boards, shuffle boards, beer pong, around the world, last man standing. Um, these are all games that everybody likes to play, right? And so now mm-hmm. you have these fun games that, you know, you make money at night and everybody has a good time, you know, just playing these target-based games that feel like cornhole and stuff um, in in people, you know, non-golfers, things you do when you're out, you know, hanging out with your friends. 
Um, and so that allows the operator to make a bunch of money off of F&B. So, um, so that, that's where we're at right now. We got that course off. Um, the core putting game is now in the market, you know, in a A-plus-plus location within, you know, proximity of three different top golfs. So now I'm just trying to get everybody that's ever been to top golf to go to the Revelry. And, and I'll be here tomorrow night. So I'm here tonight. So let me let me ask you, you know, because and and you know one of the one of the issues, you know, obviously is you you've had to spend a lot of time really fine tuning what it is that you want to do. So you got to that point, and I remember when we talked earlier in the year, um, you know, you were at the point. Okay, now we're we're you know this vision is starting to come to fruition, and then obviously you know we got hit with this pandemic, and I'm sure that's you know, in some levels has thrown a bit of a monkey wrench in some of it initially. Um, but you managed to, you know, push through. We'll talk about, you know, what the, the end result was. But obviously you, you had to have seen a little bit of a, a, a slowdown in, in getting it to, to the market as quick as you would have liked it because of the pandemic. Is that pretty accurate, do you think? Or Yeah, so I was calling everybody, right? So we, we, we're sort of, you know, this company that we're partners with, um, the name of the big company is called Daft Entertainment, but they ru- they run this revelry. Um, they're they're grinders, right? Everything you hear about product development and entrepreneurship, it's all real, right? So, it, it, dude, it hurts to to go after a dream. Uh, so these guys did it, we did it. You know, we were all in on this place. These guys raised a million dollars in the middle of this pandemic to get the doors open. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and now every, everybody that shows up just you know makes them smile. Um, they have a great time. It's, it's just a, it's just a joyful place. Um, so we got that open, but you know, when, when COVID hit, yeah, I was scrambling like crazy. Um, and I was like, I don't know if these partners that I love are even going to make it. And I still got to survive too. And so I was calling right. all these competitors of top golf. Right. So there's a whole bunch of them. You got, um, Keith Blakely's got an amazing project up in Buffalo, um, with Encore Golf. Um, that project's gonna gonna start to get funded because of all this market conditions. You know, this top golf being validated by Callaway is a is a massive mm-hmm. thing, right? So, the the entire six years, um, there was no access to any of the data that Top Golf had, right? They were a private venture; you don't have to share it. Um, now they had to disclose as part of the SEC filing, and so now all these things that I've been talking about. Um, in terms of the market conditions are now, you know, they're out in the open. So it, you know, that part's gone. And then in, on top of that, we did get this place open, you know, and so now our product's sitting there, you know, and I know it's gold because we've been developing it for six years, right? We've always known, we, we knew we had something special. Right. Um, but, but so, so now I know all these other people. So let me just go through them real quick because it's really mm-hmm. special what's going on. Right. So you got, you got Flying T that started in Oklahoma. Now it's run by a different group, but but an, an amazing guy named John Volbrecht started that. That was running when I started my journey. Now they're they've got another business of their own called Flight, and then they're starting to take off. Um, you got Mike Gibbons up in the Northwest who has this amazing driving range, and he started a company. He he took this driving range he'd been running for, you know, 20 years, and 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 converted it into a social driving range. And now he's, you know, he's halfway done with that project, and that's going to get going again. Um, and, and then, like I said, Keith's got a great project up in Buffalo. There's all kinds of people looking to get in this market. 
Um, and, and now we've got the ability to, to land a, a core sport, you know, to help these venues succeed. And, and so that's what I'm looking forward to doing is, is getting our product into the market. We needed a foundation, right? If you're going to create a sport, mm-hmm. there, was no other, there was no other way but to get it inside of these venues that were popping up. Um, and and that, was my, that was my, you know, years-long journey to try and get Topgolf to pay attention to me is just to kind of say, look, I've got something that's complimentary, and I think it'll help. And, and you know, this is no fault of Topgolf, right? They're growing like a beast. They got their own lane. Dude, I don't yeah. run around when I'm on my own, right? So mm-hmm. th- it turns out, though, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of businesses out there that have been seeing this market and getting geared up for it. And, and this Callaway announcement is going to open up the coffers on – on funding for, for various projects. Right. And so it's going to be really exciting to, to watch what happens. And so, yeah, all, all of this happened during COVID, right. For, for next links, the business COVID was the best thing that could have ever happened. Right. Um, we were just right on the finish line. We didn't have any product in the actual market. So we weren't hurt by the downturn. We'd already moved out of all our brick and mortar because we're, you know, starving entrepreneurs. Um, and so we're sitting mm-hmm. here with no overhead and, and a ton of value. Um, and, 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 and now, you know, we've got the revelry, which, which, you know, is clearly going to be a sensation and it, it has the effect of, you know, golfers that are going to come with their non-golfers are going to have, um, they're going to be left with that satisfaction of competing, which is something you're missing right now. Sometimes it's got to get fixed, right. In all these models. Um, but, but golfers don't always leave entirely satisfied when they go to one of these entertainment centers. And, and so the, and the non-golfer putting is the most approachable thing you could ever do. Right. But no, nobody ever figured out how to make money off it in the right way. And that's what next links is all about. You know, you, you raised some, a ton of them, but some really interesting points. And, you know, let me just go back for just a second. You know, when this pandemic hit, and I've said this many times over the last, uh, particularly a few shows, but the last few months, is golf really, despite and, and again, I make no light of, of you know the, the tragedy that struck many many uh, of the listeners out there um, with this pandemic. Uh, you know, many lives have, have certainly been lost and and families have have you know had some difficulties. But golf was one of the very few industries that actually really got, as I put it, uh, almost a booster shot in the arm um, because again, with with sort of the you know as I've said before, with the built-in uh, model of social distancing. By nature, uh, golf was able to to carry on and actually expand in many many ways. So, um, you know, when you have a situation like this, people that are in a financial uh, strength position look for ways to diversify what they're doing. And golf being one of the the only you know few areas or, or um, lanes, if you will, to travel in. Um, created many of these opportunities for not only companies that were existing, but new uh, ventures as well. And you're exactly right. I, I look at this as the same way. And again, I make no light of it. Um, for myself personally, uh, you know, as, as difficult as this time has been, uh, it has certainly opened up many doors for me as well. Um, and I, I want to. One of the things that I want to mention that you pointed out about Next Links, which is really nice, because you you really emphasized a number of times, uh, not just for golfers but non-golfers. One of the biggest criticisms I think that a lot of non-golfers have had is it, golf, as you know, Dave, is is a difficult game, and they've really 
golf has struggled for many, many years to, to find an entry point uh, to get those non-golfers interested. And certainly it started with, with organizations like Top Golf and that to get people out there. Um, but yours has actually sort of taken it even to another level um, because, again, you're right, putting is, is a, an easier access point for people to get into because everybody can putt. Not everybody can hit the golf right. ball uh, you know, very, very well. But most people have been to a, a, you know, a putt-putt or something growing up. And, so, and again, you're, you're adding an entertainment value so you're getting them interested, but you're you're doing it in a creative way, and I think it's really, uh, you know, really fantastic what you've what you've put together. And I, I know a number of people that I'm involved with that have sort of followed you on this journey, um, have pointed out the fact that, um, you know, they're really excited um, for you and and what you've put together. And before we we talk a, a little bit more about revelry, um, and I'm going to get to that in a second, is you really hit the nail on the head, and that is. People just want to go out and have fun. They want to have a good time with friends and family. And not everybody has the skill set at this point, you know, necessary to be even a, a good golfer. But everybody can pick up a, you know, a putter and, and head out to, uh, you know, a next links location, uh, you know, as they more and more become available and get together with friends and play some different games that they're familiar with, you know, on a putting surface, if you will, um, in a, a futuristic way. So, what's going to grow out of that is people that get brought in on that level are now going to be able to turn around and say, you know, what else is out there um, in, in the golfing world that I can get, you know, more into the game. So you've kind of planted that seed through your product, um, if you will. And you mentioned right, revelry, so, so, in, which so, is in, so yeah, hold on. yeah, go ahead. Ted, Ted, so let, me, let, let me just jump in. Cause the, it's pretty incredible. So I've got, the reason I'm out here today is because I was touring some people, right. That, that might be business partners in the future. And there's, you know, they're all single-digit golfers. You know, they're handy, they're low-handicap golfers. And so we're playing Next Link's Challenge, and I'm showing them the stuff, and, you know, it's serious. And and two courts over, mm-hmm. there's a, a couple on a date, and and it's this, um, you know, like probably a, a 19-year-old guy and, a, and his 17-year-old date, and, and he was kind of on his phone, and she was putting the game. And she made like a 20-foot putt when I was watching her. And, you know, these are 11.5-meter greens. These are country club quality greens. And so she dropped yeah. that putt in, and I've never seen anybody jump <laughs> higher. And, and then I'm sitting there, I'm just watching this whole thing transpire right in front of me, you know, as, as I'm competing in a serious way um, next door. Um, and that's, that's what six years of software and 155,000 lines of code will get you yeah exactly and and that's my whole point too is is that it, it you're introducing really golf in a fun way to people that may not normally and and this is really in my opinion is is a very crucial time for golf because you know as i said during this pandemic golf has really benefited in many many ways most golf courses around the country um have a, a experienced uh quite a bit of growth in their play uh, but even uh, many of the professionals, including uh, the group that I had on before you, uh, have noticed a, a big jump in, the, in their lesson, uh, you know, in their lesson booking. So um, yep. it, it's it's been a blessing to, to golf. So this is the time for us to really capitalize and say, okay, what can we do to not only get more people here, but what can we do more importantly to keep them interested? And the way to do that is to offer multiple. Uh, options, not just out at the golf course. That's something that ultimately we'd love to get them to do, 
But what other avenues are there out there? And you guys have come up with something here at, at, with Nextlinks um, that has done that. So let's talk about you, you were finally able to, to, to get it officially launched. You've been working at it for a long time. You've got it out in Mesa, Arizona. Tell us a little bit about this facility. And I want to point out before you do, uh, one of the really interesting things that I liked, and, and as I said, I've sort of followed it along, is a lot of times when these types of ventures happen, you kind of see, you know, here's the idea, and then you finally see the final product. You went a step further, and you posted a lot of imagery of really the down and, and dirty of, of putting this, this uh, together, building the green, you know, building the, the process. You posted a lot of videos and pictures on various social media so people could kind of feel, hey, we're part of this too watching it happen. So tell us about that a little bit and about uh, what the end result is out in Mesa. Yeah, so, so the end result is just amazing, right? So um, under this canopy is a 20,000-square-foot area with, like, a 40-foot-tall canopy, big fire pit in the middle of it, bandstand. Tomorrow night they got a live band um, for four hours, um, all playing in the middle of this 20,000 square feet. And on each edge, you know, 10,000 square feet of that is our putting experience in 14 different game zones. So um, tomorrow night it's going to be really hopping. So one of the things that's neat about grinding together, right, is so we've been writing software for six years to control these entertainment spotlights because that's how these games work. And so as we were getting closer to opening, I realized they didn't have as much entertainment lighting under the canopy, right? We had it planned and we just couldn't afford it. Um, and so I, I had actually added an extra light into our game that we're not really – it didn't – have as much value as I thought it might. So we had this extra spotlight and, you know, I, I told the guys here at revelry, I said, you ought to just use those. And they said, well, we can't cause you need to have a lighting expert and these, you know, lighting boards and all this equipment. I'm like, no, no, we've been writing software for years. I said, well, just, so I had my software developer. I said, just put all those extra lights in a new zone that is like a game zone and we'll call it the entertainment lighting zone. And so now whenever you flip the switch on the, the venue here, all the, peripheral ambiance turns on with the next links game and we now these guys don't have to have a lighting operator right for their concert you know they've got this sort of concert feel that's going on all the time that, that's created by by our stuff and our work and it you know so it's those kinds of you know shared stories that are pretty neat um and so the, the result right now is about forty-two thousand square feet of that is open so they've got an indoor twenty thousand square feet as well that's loaded with 21 screens so that they're monetizing a couple of different ways um, one concept they call the box bar where you just come in here and you know sit in this big screen and, and watch your favorite sports game while you eat and pay a little reservation fee for that and it's actually turning out to be pretty popular because it's really isolated you know the uh, this is a big place and and you know even with covid restrictions it's open for 1500 people um you or mm -hmm. yeah 1500 so um no 750 so 1,500 is the capacity at normal. So it's open for right. 750 right now. 500 under the canopy, 250 indoors. So um, they've also got this shooting range software that's used by, like, police academies and these realistic-feeling guns that um, give you that adrenaline rush. So that's why, you know, this is just different than anything anybody had ever had. The reason I kind of poke on the top golf audience is because I know that they've got this 50-50 mix of golfers, non-golfers, and we've got this golf thing. Um, but what we don't have is the driving range part of it. And, and I think that people that love that adrenaline rush of whacking the ball will really get a kick out of these gun games too. 
Um, and then, and then the food is right. absolutely spe- the, the food is absolutely spectacular. Um, the, the, they've got, um, chefs that have been working in the local area for years. You know, one of the, the president is a guy named Mike Marandino who owns two pizza restaurants in, in town called crust. And, you know, he's been a real successful with those and entertainment, you know, brought him in to really sharpen the pencil on, you know, how to run a large scale F and B operation. And they've got a couple of chefs that, you know, have been working with them for years and years now. They, you know, they've got another location across town as well that they've been running for a few years. So this is sort of the culmination of all that. Um, and it, it just feels good, man. It's like, you know, it's called the revelry because it, it sort of has this festival experience. They have a, a arcade with all these seventies video games, you know, that, that you, you know, asteroids and all these other things. And they've got, you know, separation walls between each one of them now because of COVID. Um, so they, they've got little six foot spacers that they put up between each group at the bar so that, you know, they keep the distancing that way. And then our games are, are naturally distanced and they're in an open air environment. So, you know, even in this COVID world where it's really tough to, you know, you just, people are nervous about going out, me included, because you just don't want to bring anything home. You always got to kind of act like you have it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I've been masked up all day, um, but I'm in this open air environment and I'm, you know, and I'm having a good time. And, and you know, that's what we're going to see happen at the revelry here over the next few weeks. And it's just going to be fun watching it get more and more popular because, you know, when, when you have the goods, right, the people are going to find you and they're going to love it. Well, and, and the truth of the matter is, you know, that that people have, are looking for something different, um, you know, for entertainment value. And the golf industry, again, you know, has, has for many, many years has limited themselves, um, you know, to the to the typical country club memberships. And and of course, you know, we've had resort golf and, and so forth come along, uh, you know, for decades as well. But the truth of the matter is, Dave, that for a long time, a lot of people have kind of felt isolated from the game because they're, for one, they're not a tour player, so they don't have that ability. Maybe they can't afford a country club, um, and they want something different. And what, what really, what you're offering, uh, and and obviously, you know, is now available through at the Revelry, is you're offering some exposure to golf, but at the same time, you're adding in a, a lot of other components, you know, live music, uh, you know, and and other uh, games within the game, if you will, that people can can utilize and gravitate to, all while learning and understanding a little bit more about golf and doing it in a fun, entertaining environment. You know, I remember, um, you know, going back very quickly to Top Golf. You know, I remember being out in Las Vegas, and of course at the MGM Grand, Top Golf is connected in the back. And I mean, I can remember, you know, heading out to the pool one day and there was a lot of noise coming out. People were having a good time and a lot of fun. And I can guarantee you, as you pointed out, not everybody is, you know, a consummate golfer, but they were in an environment that, you know, exposed them to golf and they're having a good time. So they're going to remember that and it's going to spur that interest to want to maybe pursue that that end as well. Well, so that's why all along, that's why all along, Ted, it's been so... You know, remember, I, I, if you go back, I mean, I, I, I had a big vision, right, from the start, right? And, uh-huh. and I knew how to deliver it, and I knew I had to come up with this minimum viable product that would, you know, be scalable. And so now we got them. But I also knew I had to get them installed in a real hub environment, right? So now now we're there. We're getting into these entertainment venues. Um, and, uh, 
you know, so now we can start spreading this out into the country clubs. I mean, this is like tennis before there was tennis courts or, you know, you know, Skittles used to be the original bowling game before Brunswick made software and made it fun for everybody, right, back in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and I, I mean, yeah, and, 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 you know, we talked, right, we talked about this the last time you were on. You, you alluded to it a little bit today, and, and that is, you know, it's not just your typical, you know, hitting some putts into a hole, um, you know, practicing your putting, you've got some games. I mean, you, you've added through the digital end of it and through the lines of code, as you said, thousands and thousands of lines of code. Um, you've got some typical games that you might find elsewhere that you've incorporated in this. So for those that might be familiar with that, that alone is going to draw people in that maybe have no interest or no uh, you know, exposure to golf. So I, I just go back. So I made a comment about this on, on LinkedIn the other day. The the thing that I didn't anticipate that's really joyful to see is when these non-golfers get on a lightning-fast putting green with a real golf club and a real golf ball, it, it it just creates this natural respect for the for the game, right? The first time you hit a golf ball on a fast green with a real club, and you've never done it before. You hit it about a thousand miles farther than you intended, right? That's your first. It's like, oh, right. What happened, right? And, and then, and then you watch the learning curve accelerate so quickly. And so, I'm watching yep. these people that have never golfed before get good at these games, and as a result, they're, I mean, they're they're getting really good at real putting. I mean, th- this is a sport. You know, and I and I've gamified the playing field by day and night or by night, right? So, but but it doesn't change the fact that every time you're stroking the ball with your putter, you're rolling a ball across a you know a lightning fast putting green that feels like a million dollars under your feet. Um, you can't mm-hmm. that never gets old. Um, so, you know, we had it in the lab for two years and then we had to shut the lab down because it lost its purpose, right? And I, so I always miss the game. I'm like, oh, I can't wait until we can get the game back. Um, you know, and then Indian Wells was shot to the night. We got halfway there, and, and what an incredible incubator to make sure that, you know, we could really tune all that stuff in and really attract the non-golfer to the game. Um, and, and then we needed a we needed a real anchor, right, because now I want to sell a million of these things, right? So there's no reason there shouldn't be one of these in every country club in the country, right? They're, they're under a hundred grand. Our, our check is only 24 grand a zone. So it's just like buying a um, launch monitor, right? High end launch monitor, but, mm-hmm. but it creates, it creates all the games. And it now, if you already have a putting surface, that's your only expense. You got to have a place for us to mount them. Right. So we're going to give you a spec sheet and say, give us this so we can plug them in. And, but when you do the math, right. So this 72 by 16 lane, under a hundred grand, um, it rents easily that whole lane for a hundred dollars an hour when you're at nighttime, right? That's, you got 20 people in there. It's five bucks a person per hour. Um, so, so let's say you could only keep it busy for four nights a week, five hours a night. That's 20 hours. That's 2000 bucks a week. That's a hundred thousand and four a year. Right. So you, you just got yep. revenue back right there on four nights a week, five hours a night. And I'm going to fill this thing up all day long. So the next link's mission now is to start creating the tournaments and the league play, right? So, and adding more content, right? So now we've got this playing field that's perfect and it's the right size and it advances, you know, everything that's ever existed to a new level. 
And so now you're going to have DraftKings wanting to put their gambling software on our putting green. And we're going to say, sure, you know, just plug in right through our operating system. That's what we did it for, right? Now you're going to have other screen game people that are just making screen games, you know, like all of them, you know, that, you know, if they can just plug right in and create games on our field. We're kind of like an iPhone, right? And our, and our software mm-hmm. is like the platform that you got to tie into. Um, and, and our playing field is the iPhone um, because – Two simulators with a 50-foot span of putting between them. Just think about how much fun you can have inventing games, knowing that we can point to any place on that putting green to, to start the player with their next shot when they come out of the screen games. Right? That's that's the core of our patent right there. That and the and the skill-based differentiation. Yeah, it's amazing, really, when you think about it. Um, tell us a little bit about Indian Wells um, shots in the dark. Uh, in, you know, uh, talk a little night. bit more about that. I'm oh, sorry, in the night. I'm apologize. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, shots in the it, night. Tell it, us a little was, bit it, about it, that. It was. Go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah. I'm done. Go so ahead. It was originally. It, it was. Or, it was originally going to be shots in the dark. That's why I was laughing. Um, but they couldn't get the. <laughs> you know, when when Steve, Steve Rosen is the general manager there, and you know he's the visionary that really made everything happen for next links, right? We were stuck in a lab and if we didn't find a place to, to, to bring our efforts forward with real people, right? We saw it in the lab. We knew we had an attraction, but how on earth do you get somebody to spend money with you when it's not cheap to introduce something that's never been introduced before? And, and uh, you know, that's the role the city of Indian Wells played with us. And, and Steve Rosen is the mastermind there. He's a um, GM that works for Troon. Uh, but, but, he and and uh, and the team came to the lab in Santa Ana, and they they could feel this mood, right? That's why I'm excited about our nightclub lights that light up the sky too, because it you know our our mood kind of carried from the lab into Indian Wells, and now it's carried back into the revelry. And so there's a there's a feel as well that that, that we've managed to create around this putting green, like a you know an energy or, or an ambiance, um, and so. Indian Wells was the field of dreams, right? They they spent, mm-hmm. you know, a half a I'll never get tired telling this story. So they they spent a half a million <laughs> dollars on, with, with with us, right? Um and that had to get approved by the city council. This was a public private partnership. So right. at the meeting, you know, at the meeting, we thought we'd done all our homework. We we bought this expensive video, you know, we we tried to get everybody on board, and, and we thought we had four of the council members locked in. And, and the topic before us was short-term rental income for housing owners. So short-term rental income, that's like Airbnb, right? So you got these landlords that right. own these houses, and they're, they're renting out their property, and the city's collecting like $300,000 a year in tax revenue um, because of that. And so you would think they'd be really happy, but all the neighbors of all these Airbnbs weren't happy, right? So – so the city made a decision to walk yeah the the city makes a decision to walk away from this short term rental tax revenue and and the only people that are at the meeting are the homeowners that wanted it to go through so they could keep making money um and then the next topic was let's spend five hundred thousand dollars on something that's that's never been done before on our putting green. Um, we had a guy get up from the audience like so it went pretty well until they opened it up for audience and, and a guy a guy got up and just started screaming at the council about, you know, what idiots they were for, for betting on a you know, a company that's never done anything. Um 
So anyway, the the mayor the mayor cast cast the deciding vote. We lost one vote, so we still got it through three to two. Um, a lot of heroic efforts to get it open. I still I still got a lot of amends to make for people that worked hard. Right, a lot my whole journey, <laughs> a lot of people putting in a lot of weight for me. Um, so home run. So they're on season three now. And, I, you know, I've been to the opening every three seasons, all three seasons, right? The first season, nobody was there. Um, you know, it was a learning season. It was a great season. At the end of the day, they booked a ton of special events. Um, and uh, and then season two got interrupted by COVID. It was taking off great. Um, well, season three opened here just this last October. And uh, so right here, too, right again. So our, our venue opens again mm-hmm. in, in Indian Wells, and then the revelry comes on at the same time, um, right, right sort of in the middle of COVID, but because they're both outdoor experiences and they both involve a lot of social distancing already, you know, they're, they're in the sweet spot. Um, right. So, so season three, season three, they can't do the special events, right? Because those are big group events. Um, and that was a big chunk of the, of the revenue draw, but the hotel next door put in a water park. And so now they're booking all these soccer teams and baseball teams and 14 year olds. And so the first night of opening, it was like, a hundred kids there. Um, they all got sent over from the hotel and it, you know, Steve tells me it's, it's been like that over and over again, right? They're outdoors. They had some bad weather last weekend. Um, but, but net, net, it's the words out now in season three. And, you know, I can't wait to see what we do, um, next with them, right? We did a three-year contract with them to get the seeds planted, you know, get the roots in the ground, um, on, you know, and, and just hats off to, to everyone involved, right, for taking a chance on something like that, because um, we we wouldn't have got this revelry without that. You know, you win the next thing with the with the previous thing. Um, now, like this whole six year battle for us has been, you know, we were baking this cake because we're creating a sport, right? That's not easy. You got to do a mm-hmm. lot of homework. You got to have you got to have a lot yep. of things in place, and you got, you got to have an anchor location to launch from. Um, so that all took six years, which really isn't that bad if you think about it, because now. You know, we've defined the court, we've defined the specifications, we've got the software, we know the game is broadly appealing, and, and now all we have to do is, is start up the mechanisms of competition. Um, and, and now we're going to have a whole alternative format of putting-only sports, and then we're going to add the sim screens, and then we're going to have a, another version that involves the entire game of golf played on a 1,200-square-foot playing field. It's the true game. Yeah. You're going to have people that never have golfed before are going to go out on a traditional course and shoot sub-90 the first time they've ever seen a greenfield course. Guarantee it. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, you've got people who are going to be very proficient at putting, which, you know, it all starts with the short game. So, uh, yeah, I can I can definitely see that happening. And, and you know, it, it's it's great. You know, I'm, I'm really, you know, excited not only for for you, obviously, I'm excited for you, Dave, but I'm really excited for the industry because it's nice to see, um, you know, we can still celebrate the traditions of the game, but it's nice to see that golf is, you know, finally gravitating into new areas uh, and new ventures um, because, again, we're attracting people. um, You know, COVID's done a little bit this year with, with, you know, uh, again, because of the social distancing that, as I mentioned earlier, kind of got that shot in the arm to get people interested in golf. And, you know, over the last several years, you know, organizations like Top Golf and, and whatnot have introduced people as well. And now 
the next you know uh, part is next links has now come out and and taken it that step further um, you know in in creating uh, a, a different model that people have not really seen before and uh, again you're you're introducing it to a, a level of people who for those that are golf enthusiasts uh, are going to get excited about it and those that are not uh, at this point golf enthusiasts are just new to the game or don't understand the game are going to get exposed to it as well and there's a little something for everybody there and the fact that you know again it's going to build a lot of traction once the word as you said gets out there um you know all the the heavy lifting as you put it has already been done it's now a, a chance yeah. to sort of sit back and watch it unfold and and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it for as i mentioned the reasons but uh uh, I'm excited to see, um, you know, as we move forward into the next year, 2021, um, how much uh, is uh, is going to unfold. Let me ask you, as we get close to our time, it's hard to believe we've we've almost blown through with the hour. Uh, but let me let me ask you, Dave, what's next? Um, you know, obviously you're you're working on and expanding and so forth. But is there a project that's um, you know in the works right now that we maybe a few months or half a year or what have you down the road that we can look forward to seeing? No, I think it's way bigger than that now. So there's there's a there's a hundred projects, right? That that okay. all have seventy two <laughs> that, 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 that all have seventy two foot long by sixteen foot wide areas that they haven't quite figured out how to monetize yet. Um, you know, there's there's probably five hundred projects that are gonna close in the next six months that have those conditions, right? So we've got a product that fits in every one of those as a you know, opportunity and it costs you less than a hundred grand you know, to buy it from us. Um, and it, it's going to start populating, you know, these next versions of courts. And um, it's going to, like, now scale time, right? So all this work was yeah. about creating a simple, simple enough business model that when the cake was baked, now I could give it to everybody, right? So everything's a win-win now, right? We're, we know how to right. price it. We know how to monetize it. We know it works. You know, now you just got to put it next to your sports bar. You got to put it. Think about bowling alleys, right? They could take like four lanes and just convert it into our thing. And now it's just something new. Like you talked about, it's just about pleasing yep. people, right? And, and, you know, so we can go everywhere and, and we understand our business. You know, we, we went, in, we got into the market at scale, right? That's my life or death journey was if I'm not going to create a sport, I'm not doing this. Right. So I'm just thankful that I've lived. Right. Because I almost died lots of yeah. times. Um, and right. so I'm glad I'm alive. Uh, and I'm and I'm glad that we're going to make it because I've always told everybody that if this thing makes it right, it's going to be good for like it's this is just the beginning. It yeah. was six years to just get out of the gate. Um, but but mm -hmm. now that we're out we know what we're doing, right? So now we're a rocket ship. We're, you know, we've been over the waterfall for a while. I think 10 days ago, right? So let's just close there. The, this don't ever, like, you can't underestimate the significance of this Callaway Topgolf acquisition, right? So, so yeah. you have a company that, you have a company that agreed to, to, to take half the value of their stock and give it to another company. And they're taking over the leadership of all of that. Because they believe mm -hmm. that that this is the way to attract this audience, and they believe it because it's just a big math equation. Because Top Golf just spent 20 years proving it all with data, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and, and so yep. the, the you know Pandora's out of the box now, 
right? You can't you can't put the genie back in that bottle. So the ripple effects from that are massive. Um, and, and there's been a lot, a lot, a lot of hardworking people that are trying to use this culture change to grow the game of golf. And and all of those people mm-hmm. are ready to ready to embrace next links. At least most of all those people. Um, so it's you know now we're ready to go. I'm just excited to watch it happen, right? So now. Now it's just kind of like you said the the cake is baked. I, I it was either you know for me it was it was it was you know win or die right I'd win or try whatever. Um, so <laughs> now I can see it. You know you you can't deny when you're over the waterfall. You know you're over, right? You, you, right. Now you just you know there there's this rule of success that when success comes it comes like a waterfall. Um, the, the the bigger your idea, the the longer it takes to get to that threshold point. Um, we, we achieved that threshold point when I saw that announcement from Callaway. Um, and then I realized that both of our venues were open in the same month, you know, and then I already know what our attraction does, right? I, I already know it. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's already happening. It's, it's been happening yep. for a while. Um, now it's just about delivering this infrastructure quickly, right? So that everybody can take advantage of it. You know, it's it's never been about anything but that for me. Is is I saw a good product to build, and I knew it had massive potential to impact the future of the game of golf. And and then I and I love golf, and I was unhappy with my life. So things like that happen, and you, you know, you you go all in on something, and that's what I did. Yeah, and you did it well, Dave. Let me just say that. Um, you know, it's it's a difficult thing anytime when you start any new venture and, but it, it all starts, like you said, with a vision. And then it's a matter of, of building the components, you know, adding the right ingredients and uh, a lot of hard work and a lot of, uh, you know, uncertainties along the way. But, you know, as long as you keep that vision in the forefront and you keep, you know, walking towards it, eventually it comes to fruition. And, and you know, kudos to you because it's not an easy thing. I know when we've talked in, in past conversations, you know, I know that you, you mentioned there was a lot of, you know, hiccups along the way and uncertainties of certain things. And, and that's with, you know, with any, uh, you know, business venture, there's always going to be that. But you've always stayed strong and steady throughout, even through some of the difficult times. And I think now people are going to see what's, you know, what's really behind all of that. Now they're going to see it for themselves and reap the benefits from it, uh, you know, of course, as, as will you. But um, I think it's great, and I think it's fantastic, and I'm glad that you've, you know, come on a number of times, but I'm particularly excited tonight you come on and share this. And uh, for those that want to experience for themselves, um, let's direct them to the website so they can kind of visually see it right now, and if they're in the area or able to get to the area and actually get out and, and, and get a hands-on experience, uh, we'll tell them that as well. But uh, where can they go to get more information if they want to learn more about it and where uh, let them know if they, you know, if they're able to 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 get there, um, where they can go and experience it for themselves. Yeah, so so we're in the the Mesa, we're in Mesa, Arizona, right? So the Greater Phoenix area. So there's a there's a lot of people in Phoenix, and uh, the revelry is wide mm-hmm. open. It's right next to Bass Pro Shops. It's uh, a mile from Cubs, you know, training camp. Um, right next to Bass Pro Shops in the River Riverview Mesa area. Um, can't miss it. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to be here tomorrow night. It'd be fun. You know, the Revelry, you know, www.therevelry.com is their website. 
Um, love to see a bunch of people. If anybody knows Bob Parsons, I'm dying to get him out here and give him a personal tour. Um, so I'm 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 not kidding. I'm serious. No, I don't. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that's, I know I'm you here are. Tomorrow night, I, I think I think it's going to be popping. Um, I, gar- I, I guarantee I, you, if Bob if, if Bob Parsons spent 30 minutes with me, he would write me a check before he left. Uh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Well, Dave, I want to thank you, and, and um, I, I plan on, uh, you know, when things settle a little bit uh, for me, I plan on making my way out that way and and, uh, and and checking it out for myself. I'm very, very excited for you and very excited about Next Link's uh, continuation success. I know it's been a lot of hard work behind, a lot of people involved, um, but you were the man that spearheaded the vision, and uh, so hats off to you, and I want to thank you uh, once again for coming on the show tonight and sharing it with my audience and you have an open invitation you're welcome to come back and, and as things you know progress uh, you know reach out and let me know and and I'll be more than happy to uh, to bring you back on and and we can talk about the next evolution of, of golf and and uh, and maybe the next project you might be working on who knows there might be something else you got cooking that you're not sharing yet but uh, we'll find out <laughs> well no so I, I really like that you know you were you were one of those you know, there's a few people I talked to really early on, and you were one of them. And the, you know, sort of our random meetup at PGA show was really fun and special. And so I, obviously, I'm I'm available to come on anytime. I, right now, you know, I just want to see people help me get a lot of people into this revelry so they can see for themselves. Right? That that that's my I goal. Could, I couldn't agree more. Dave, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been a pleasure, and uh, much continued success. Go to therevelry.com. Uh, if you want to check out more information. And if you're in the uh, Mesa, uh, Arizona area, make sure you go and visit it. Uh, you can get all the information by, from their website, exactly where it is. Um, Dave's already given you a, a heads up. But get out there and check it out. I think it's going to be worthwhile. I think you're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, Dave's excited to, uh, to have you come out and, and join in on the fun. So make sure you do that. Dave, is always a pleasure. And I look forward to you joining me again on a future show. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care and enjoy yourself. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was uh, Dave Schultz, uh, CEO of Next Links, out in Mesa, Arizona, at the, uh, the Revelry, which uh, features uh, uh, their latest project. And uh, it's also at Indian Wells um, uh, Golf in, uh, as well. And you can also check out the uh, uh, Shots in the Night, if you will. Um, check it out there as well. But uh, I want to also thank you, uh, the panel, from uh, earlier on in Coach's Corner. Thanks, guys, for doing a great job. John Hughes, Brian Dobby, and Jamie Leno-Zimron. Thank you for always bringing your best to the panel discussions. And again, thanks to my very special guest this evening, Dave Schultz, from CEO, uh, CEO of Next Links. And uh, I want to thank all of you for tuning in uh, each and every week here on the broadcast. And just a, another quick side note, um, I may have uh, mentioned, I don't believe I have yet, but uh, uh, both of the shows are now picked up. For those of you that uh, subscribe to uh, Morning Read, uh, you may uh, be familiar with that, morningread.com. Uh, both of these shows, uh, Golf Talk Live and my other show that I do Tuesday mornings with my good friend, LPJ professional Cindy Miller, uh, the Women of Golf are also under the podcast there. Uh, you can check both of them out there. They're going to be, uh, each week we'll be sending some new episodes to them and that. So if you're a subscriber to Morning Read, uh, you may, <clears throat> excuse me, you may already be familiar with it. 
Uh, but if you check out the podcast, you will see Golf Talk Live and Women of Golf has uh, recently been added to uh, their list of, of great podcasts to tune into. Thanks, everybody, for joining me this evening. God bless, and I will see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golftalklive. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. Or listen on any of the following social media platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.